0: Ken will be leading the Hobbit tour through New Zealand. I keep telling him that that's his future. So, but uh, we're happy that he gets to do that. Have you ever looked out the world, and I think we've all said this, and said, hey, it's not fair, or it's unjust, or things just aren't going the way they're supposed to, or that person is picking on me and I don't deserve that, or um, I did something, I was caught, that person got by with it, and you see that the way of this world, it's not too hard when you explain to people, I think when you start with the Old Testament story and say, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. The world is not perfect. The world is stained by sin. And sin has made it so that there is an evil force within this world that, that affects those who want to follow. And what happens is, is there are people that um, will go after good people. We've seen, of course, in history, we've seen all kinds of evil leaders that have risen up and have gone after good people. They usually go after people that are Christians or they're Jews or for other other faiths or things like that, or they'll go after people because they're good. And you say, that's not fair. That's not right. And you know it is true, but it is the world that we live in. And becoming a Christian does not change everything in this world. We are still living in anticipation of a day. There's a reason that, the, that John ends the Bible with, Come, Lord, come quickly. And it should be our constant, because we want the world to be put back and to be put into the state that it's supposed to be. Okay, Ken just talked about it being cold. I do not believe the original wor- world that God created was supposed to be 30 below. Okay, I, I think that's a, just a sign for all of us. You know, when you step outside, the wind's blowing, you're like, this isn't right. Good. Now you understand that we are all under sin. See, it's a, it's, a, it's a testimony to everybody. Should always remind you, we need to trust in Jesus because the world is not the way it's supposed to be. So in First Peter, Peter's addressing a group of people here that are under unjust persecution. We're, the whole series we're talking about is hope for exiles. And the hope for exiles is the concept that we are not at home in this world that we are sojourners. It says exiles in this world. We're not where we're supposed to be. We're not always going to fit in. We're going to feel left out in this world. And we've talked about the different things that are going to happen at this time. People were losing their jobs because they wouldn't go with the the temple um, that they had to serve to be a part of a job. Maybe their, their family would turn their back on them because they became a Christian. All different things that were changing in their life. Or there was actual direct persecution. But it's, it's about to rise up in a higher way for them. But at this time, most of it was social persecution. And we can identify with Peter. It wasn't necessarily illegal to be a Christian at this time, but it also was something you kept to yourself and don't tell anybody and don't bother the rest of the world because the rest of the world's just fine with being evil. We're pagans and we're fine with it. I don't want to hear about your Christianity. And I think that we can all identify with that. And so there was abuse that they took. There was abuse that they took from people that would torment them for their faith. Torment them because why don't you come along with us? Why don't you follow after what we do? So we're going to look at 1 Peter 3, 13 to 22 today. And we're going to talk about what it, how we're supposed to live in an unfair or unjust world. And the first thing we need to know is how our faith should be in an unjust world. It says in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you? if you are zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. There are two parts to this. First of all, you come to the point, it says we are supposed to be zealous for what is good. If we are Christians, we are supposed to do what is good. The the Holy Spirit has come into our lives, and the Bible says outside of Christ that we are slaves to sin. We are under the ruler of of the world we are in the ruler of the enemy in this world known as satan so we are under that control but with christ we have the opportunity for the first time to be good because of what christ has done inside of us so we should be zealous for being good we should be zealous in other words make this our whole point of life is to be as good as we possibly can not because we're earning favor with god but because we can and because it's a, it's a praise to God. And because we have the opportunity to be good for the first time. But what happens, he says, if you live a good life following Jesus, you will avoid some harm. I think that's very true. A lot of times when you see things that are happening in this world, it's because people are not following Jesus Christ and their lives are affected by that. If you're not following after him, if you're not doing what is right, let's say you're a dishonest person. You, you just are a constant liar. It's very tough to make good relationships with people. It's very difficult to hold a job. It's very hard to do anything. If you're somebody that's not faithful to your friends, you start to lose friends. So what he's trying to say here is, is if you do good, you will escape some harm. But then what he says is, you know what? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So what he's trying to say is, even if you are good, even if you're doing what God has called you to do, there will be trouble in your life. There will be people that will harass you and harm you unjustly. And God is on your side, and you are blessed, even though you are being persecuted. He said, when your family member turns on you, when that person turns away from you, when all of a sudden maybe you've lost a job. I've heard of people that have lost jobs because of their faith. If these things happen in your life, you are still blessed. Why are you blessed? Because God is on your side. If the world turns against you and God is on your side, are you on the winning or the losing side? You're on the winning side. It's very simple. But you don't feel blessed. Hey, pastor, I just went to school today, told everybody I was a Christian, and I lost six friends. I feel so blessed. Okay, that's not a testimony most people give. But you know what? You are blessed. Your friends don't understand it. And sometimes people will go out of their way, and I can think of stories about people who just go out of their way to pick on me as a Christian guy. They would just go out of their way to go after me. I, I remember the guy that when I worked at Domino's, they always called me John the Baptist. Um, because and he asked me if I was afraid of lions all the time and because they might eat me and he, he had all these things We actually became friends in the long run because I just kept saying you know what i'm going to be your friend I'm a co- Yeah. Yes. I'm trained to be a pastor. I'm working at Domino's. We're all in this together You can tease me, but you know what? We're going to be friends And but what's important to understand is I was blessed and that does not count the outside circumstances that's that's the thing that I think we need to understand as Christians because so many times and you'll see it in books I'm blessed because I have this new car. I'm blessed because I have this wonderful family I'm blessed because all this you're blessed because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. God loves you. You have a future You have hope you have forgiveness of sins You're blessed Okay, so our brothers and sisters and, and we look at our missions board up here when I've been in Cambodia or Myanmar They have no nothing none of those things. They're blessed we are blessed because of that. Verse, when he talks about in verse 14, he talks about the fact, he says, do not have no fear of them nor be troubled. Now this is a quote from Isaiah. And Isaiah was talking to the king of Judah at this time because the northern kingdom and another ally was coming to take over his kingdom and to knock him out of the way. And Isaiah told them, do not have no fear of them nor be troubled. And what he is trying to say is there's a great temptation in this world to be afraid. It's so easy to be afraid. I think we all have to be clear of that. You wake up in the morning, fear can grip you. Fear can grip you about what's going on in this world. And what he is saying, I don't care what army is coming after you, because at this time it was a greater army than Judah had. He told King Ahaz, do not be fear." do not be afraid, do not be troubled, God is on our side. In other words, God is the one who is in control. We are not to fear. In fact, it's interesting, we have fear. The Bible says the only person we should fear is God, and the only person we fear is God, because he, and He loves us. He's the only one that can do anything to us that, that can't be stopped by anything else, so we should only respect and fear Him, not this world. There's not one force on this world that we should be troubled by. So our faith should be the fact that we are blessed. Our faith should be the fact that we do not fear. And if we suffer because we are living after, after righteousness, we're still blessed. And you're more blessed to suffer for righteousness than to give in and not be blessed. I think that's very important that we remember that. Do not fear or be troubled because of that. Now, our testimony on just worthy He says now in verse 15, he says, but in your hearts, honor Christ." The Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So he says, don't fear. But now he says, you know what? We have to have a testimony in this world. Because you know what? If you lose your friends, if you're being persecuted, and you still feel blessed and have hope, people are going to think you're weird. I'm just going to lay it right out for you. They're going to look at you and go, what is wrong with you? You Don't you understand? Don't you understand that this world isn't going the way it's supposed to? Don't you understand that you're being persecuted? Don't you understand that the boss is out to get you because of your faith and likes to pick on you? Don't you understand that, that you're now alone because this person didn't want to maybe be around you because of this or because of direct persecution comes your way? There are going to be people that are going to come up to you because if you're in your heart, you're honoring Christ as Lord is holy, because you're doing that, they're going to be saying, what is going on with you? And you know what you need to say? Something. Don't just say, I-, I don't know, I'm just doing well. Don't just say, hold on, i got Pastor John's phone number right here. He'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about, but I can't tell you a thing. And, and that's fine, you can always call me. I can be like that, you know, The guy in your earpiece, all right, at this point say, you know, I mean, I can help, whatever we need to do, but you need to make a defense for why it is you have hope because your hope doesn't make any sense to this world. Your hope makes zero sense to this world because they're looking at tangible things and all they can see is, is what's in this earth. They say, if you don't have friends, you don't have money, you don't have power, you don't have anything. And you're saying, if I have Jesus, I have everything and those other things Will take care of themselves that makes no sense so what do you do we have to make a defense and that has to flow from our heart he says in your hearts honor christ and so everything is in our heart is what is important to us today the reason you are in church today is because your heart said this was the most important place for you to be because there were other options There were other things you could have done. Your bed felt warm, okay? I I get all those things. But your heart said, this is what is important. This is what I need to do. And where your heart is, everything's going to follow. If you are obsessed with something, you will put everything you have into that. Now, we have the Super Bowl coming up. There is a chance, and as a Viking fan, you never want to say it, but there's a chance that the Vikings could be in the Super Bowl okay, in Minnesota, and you will see, if that happens, and I'm just putting it in my head, you will see where people's hearts are. In other words, you will clearly all of a sudden see, okay, my kid doesn't really need college. I need a ticket to that game, (laughs) right? Or I don't need to eat, or I don't, I mean, whatever. Things are going to be, I can mortgage my future, but I'll get a ticket to the biggest game of all time in Minnesota When the fight. You know, if that happens, you will see, whenever there's something like that that comes up, whenever there's a pressure point or an opportunity point, you will see where people's hearts are. You will see that. I remember one time when uh, my son Alan was very small, and I had this opportunity to go golfing on this really nice golf course. This guy called me and said, I'm going to take you for free. And I said, great. He called me and says, you're going to do it at 10 a.m. Sunday morning. He said, I will pay for you. It's like hundreds of dollars and all this. I said, I can't go. He said, why? Don't you like to golf? I said, well, I'm not very good at it, but I do like doing it. And I remember just saying, I can't do that for me, but also what example am I showing to my children? Where am I showing where my heart is? I'm showing, hey, Daddy's going to go do something else right now. Why don't you go to church? Because this is more important to dad. This is much more important to him. And I think we need to understand where our heart is. So out of this is going to flow what we need to say. So we need to have circumstances and anyone who asks, and I mean anybody who asks you, you need to have an answer for them. Now what does that mean? Does that mean you have to sit down and say, excuse me, I'm going to start from the beginning of Genesis. Please open your Bible. I will take you through the whole narrative of starting with Adam and Eve all the way through Revelation. This may take a while. Now you need to tell them, what is it that Christ has done for you? Well, who is Christ? What, what is it about Him? It does not have to be long, but you have to be willing to give Him the credit and give Him the glory and also say, it is not because of me, it is because of Christ in me. And you also need to be able to say, I don't have all the answers. I think that is one of the best defenses you can ever make. I don't completely understand it. You know what? Some, when again, I go back to my time at Domino's in college. I don't know why this was my great. This is my mission field when I was in, training to be a pastor. But one guy came up. He goes, You're, "You want to be a pastor?" Right? He goes, "Can God create a rock so big that He can't pick it up?" Ooh, I've really tricked you now. And I said to him, "I said God doesn't do the absurd, so God doesn't follow that." But there are other, and so I was able to say, "Well, that." God can't do something that's absurd when you do infinity times infinity. And I said, we got into it. But I could also say, you know what? Let me think and pray about it and get back to you. But make sure you get back to that person. If you don't have the answer, don't say you do. Okay? I believe that's in 3 Chronicles chapter 5, I think. Okay, don't make it up. Let them know what's on your heart. Let them know that you'll look it up. Let them know that you know a place for them to hear more about it, okay? I think that's important for you to understand. But also, when you're being persecuted and somebody comes up to you and you said, what's up with you being so happy? You know what an, e- an easy thing to do is? Well, if you weren't so stupid, you would be happy too because you're frustrated Being picked on, being persecuted is frustrating. And so what does Peter come up with? Do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, do not do evangelism with you moron every five seconds. Anybody with any brain could figure this out, okay? You who are reprobate, I mean, I've heard testimonies like this. I've heard people testify like this and try to present the gospel by putting people down and telling them how horrible they are. Most people are aware how horrible they are and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Okay? Let them know that I am a person saved by grace. And with gentleness and respect, tell them what it means. I think of the example of Jesus when he was being whipped. He did not turn around and yell at them. Knock it off. He had gentleness and respect for every leader that he was was tortured for. Whenever... He was. He had a pagan come up to him with a tough question. He had respect for them. In fact, the only people that Jesus was kind of hard on was the religious people. But even with them, he treated them with more respect than they probably deserved because all they were trying to do is trick him. We're supposed to be respectful for other people. So we need to understand this. Do it with gentleness and respect. And verse 17 is also very important for us to understand where it says... For it's better to suffer for doing good if that, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. I've talked about this multiple times, and I feel like Peter keeps bringing it up, and I keep wanting to say, I say, okay, fine, I'm going to say it again, but I think people have heard it, but I think Peter understood that we need to hear it again. Sometimes you're being persecuted because you're bad. Sometimes you're being persecuted because you're a bad employee. Sometimes you're being persecuted because you're a bad friend. Sometimes you're being persecuted because you're not being a good Christian. In other words, don't blame God for that. Well, I never show up to work on time, and and I have a really bad attitude in there. The boss just hates me because I'm a Christian. Okay. The boss may not like the fact that you're a Christian, but the boss also needs to know that you show up on time. What does it say that we're supposed to be as Christians? Good. That word good is the word that God used for the perfection of creation. We're supposed to be a good example to people. We're supposed to be following after Him. So he says, "If you, you, it is not good for you to suffer when you're, when you're not doing good. So in other words, don't blame God for everything, but if you do what is good and still suffer, understand that God is with you. So it should be that it's God's will then for, do, for doing evil. It's important that you understand that you will suffer at times. You will suffer and, it, and God allows suffering to come into our life in this world. He allows it to happen, okay? It's important that we understand that. Those responsible for the suffering will be judged, but you know what God does with suffering? He uses it for our advantage. So God says, even though you don't have any, it's not just, it's not not something that you want, God twists it and makes it a working point for you. Anybody who's ever been part of a sport, everybody who's ever been to school, have you ever frustratingly said afterwards. I remember this one class in school. It was in 10th grade. And we had to learn all these Greek and Latin roots for words. And I thought it was the stupidest thing I'd ever learned. And I had another class. This is always English class, by the way. My wife's an English teacher. She gets English. I don't. Okay. Um, and so this other class, we had to do grammar. And you couldn't just put a comma in a sentence. You had to write down the rule next to it. Like comma with a conjunction. And I said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. You know what I still do to this day every time I put a comma in? Comma. Oh, because there's a conjunction with it. The teacher got to me, and it frustrates me even worse now to think about it. (laughs) Okay, I actually learned something. I suffered in English class, and I learned something. You can suffer as a Christian, and guess what? You're going to learn something from it. God's going to use it to your advantage, to His glory. So could He eliminate all suffering from our world? Yes, it's called heaven. But until that time, He's going to take the suffering that is thrown at you, use it to make you better, make you stronger, and make you a a more effective Christian in this world. Now, the last point is our hope in an unjust world. Now, the next few verses i'm going to talk about i'm going to give you a quote by martin luther and almost every pastor i looked up on this passage quoted this section from martin luther because we all had the same reaction if you look at especially verses 19 and 20 this is what luther said about this this is a strange text and certainly a more obscure passage than any other passage in the new testament i still do not know for sure what the apostle meant so guess what i get to preach on that today Martin Luther spent all of his life trying to figure this out and says, I don't know what it meant. I don't know what it means. So let's just look at it. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the, rightness, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the d- days of Noah, more than any other person, and Christ suffered for absolutely no reason. In other words, when I say that, He suffered for a purpose for us, but He deserved none of it. Okay? He did not deserve... The, the Roman government had no case against Him. The Jewish authorities had no case against Him. No one had a case against Him. He didn't backtalk anybody. He didn't lie. He wasn't a bad person at all, yet He suffered more than anybody. And he suffered for us. So who do we call ourselves? Christians? Who is our example? Christ. Christ suffered and died. And why did he suffer and die for us? So that we could be saved. And if we're saved, it means that we have hope and a future. And it also means this. Because Christ suffered and died, and he's going to subjugate the powers. It talks about in verse 22. It actually talks about in verse 19 also. He put all the powers on this earth under him. What does that mean? God is in control. Because Christ died on the cross, because He rose again, He has control over everything and has power and authority over everything. Okay, for us, we need to understand this. Because, He comes back to this, when we suffer, one of the things that we always question, and there's a whole lot of things, if you watch, I like the show Law and Order. Okay, I like other shows where at the end they get the bad guy and the bad guy gets locked up in prison. I mean, Does everybody else like that part? Do you like it at the end when they go, no, nah, the guy just got free. We're fine. Okay, He killed 12 people, but we're just going to let him go. No, that's a bad show okay, because we want justice. And what this means is Christ is exalted on high, it says. He has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. With the, he has authority over everything. And it says... That anybody who who picks on us, who makes us suffer unjustly will face God someday now, coming back to how are we supposed to respond to them with with reverence, respect, and gentleness, when they go before God and they are unrepentant, God will take care of them. God is the righteous judge. no one 's going to mouth off to God there 's not going to be somebody go up to heaven and say i don 't want to listen to you i don't you know. Not going to happen, okay? God's just going to look at him and say, no, be quiet, all right? I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who created heaven and earth. I'm all of this. So what we need to understand about this, he he died for the unrighteous, which is us. He brought us to God, and he was raised in the Spirit. And then verse 19 and 20 comes along. And I'm just going to give you a little quick understanding of what this is. First of all, need to understand this. Don't start a church based on verse 19 and 20. Okay, this is not one of those verses of the Bible that we understand. We're going to have the descended into the Spirit and uh, and what spirits they were and all of that. This is a verse that all commentators throughout time have said, we wish we were in Peter's crowd. We wish we were at that time because Peter wrote this and everybody probably went, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. We look at it now we're like, we'll do our best. But what it is, and the summary is, is when in Genesis 6, right before the flood, there was a group of angels that came down and they slept with people and they had immoral relations and God put them in prison, imprisoned them. And this passage is saying through Christ's death and resurrection, he goes down to those angels that are in prison and tells them I am in control and he is proclaiming to them, I am the Lord God over everything. That's it. That's all we really can tell from this. So that's why you have Noah and all of this, while the ark was being prepared, um, all of these things. The other thing you need to know about verse 20 is very important. Have you ever wondered why God just doesn't stop somebody? Okay, you look at one of the most recent people. You see people that are... Everybody brings up Adolf Hitler, but you think of Idi Amin or you think of what was happening in Somalia. I think when I was in Cambodia, the Khmer Rouge. Okay, the Khmer Rouge is killing one-third to one-half of its population. And you just wonder, why doesn't God just snuff that guy out? Why is not God just up in heaven to send a bolt of lightning right on top of him? It's a very important passage right here. It says that God's patience... Waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. Do you know why God didn't just say, here's an ark? He could have just done that. There's some trees and there's an ark, get going. And then just destroyed everything. He allowed Noah to preach the gospel to give everybody an opportunity to be saved. Do you know why we suffer today? Do you know why Christ has not returned, it says in the Bible? Because God is being patient so that as many as possible will come to know Him. And if we have to suffer a little bit, but thousands of more people come to know Jesus Christ and are in heaven someday, it'll be worth it all. We sang about it today. That's worth it all. And Noah took it. God was patient working through Noah during this time. But then the last thing he says right here, he talks about baptism. He says that Noah was saved by means of water. Now, what does that mean? What, is the, what happened with water at this time? First of all, water represented the destruction. And what does baptism represent? When we baptize somebody, it means that you go under the water and it kill, that you are proclaiming that my old life is dead. I am no longer that person. I come up out of the water a new person in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Just like the water cleansed the whole world, it cleanses you from sin. It it took out those people that were and those angels, what they had created. It took all of that sin out, and it takes it out of us. Now, does the actual water do this? I like how Peter says this. You know, the water. It isn't like it just takes, uh, not as a removal of dirt from the body. In other words, you don't just you get into a bath, right? What happens to the bath? The bath turns dirty because the dirt is coming off of you. It's not. He's saying it's not like it really happens. Because I've always said, if you got saved by being baptized, here's my plan. Now, I might not do it in January, but if I knew some people would get saved, I still would do it. I would rent a fire truck, okay? I would have our board, I'd rent multiple fire trucks, perhaps. I'd have our board manning the little chutes on where they shoot the water out, and I would say, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are now baptized, and just start dousing people, okay? I would just let her fly you know people would be mad at us but you know what they're saved and they would be transformed right there and they'd be like thank you pastor thank you crossroads for saving us by blasting us with high velocity water okay it doesn't work that way okay it doesn't it doesn't remove the dirt it, what he's saying though is it it shows what actually happens in your life why are we doing baptisms i was excited Um, when John approached me and said, we have some people that want to be baptized. And I said, let's have them baptized on Christmas Eve. And I'm excited. If anybody here wants to be baptized, if you've made the commitment to Jesus Christ, but you've never made the commitment to be baptized, the Bible doesn't understand not being baptized because baptism is is for us. It's to show us the change that has happened in our life. It's to show us that we've been transformed from unrighteousness to righteousness. That we now have changed. The old man is dead. The new one is alive. If you've never been baptized, and if you want to make a commitment today to Jesus Christ, you want to make a commitment to be saved the day we have a baptism, it doesn't matter. We will baptize you and let you understand that that is the sign of you saying yes to Christ and no to the world. And he says all of this. Now he throws it all together. And it's like, I think Peter's just kind of dumping everything into these few verses here. But what we need to understand is Christ died for us. Christ suffered for us. Christ took over everything in this world. He tells everyone what they can do, what they can't do. He is in control. And we have hope through baptism that we have life in Jesus Christ. And because of this, we can have faith in an unjust world. We can have a testimony in an unjust world. You might just want to talk about, that's why we have everybody give a testimony right before they're baptized. Hey, you might want to keep that for a while. Just tell people the testimony of what Christ has done in your life. Why don't you stand with me? If our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made Him the Savior of your life, you've never never had the old life removed. You see, because all of us are sinful. All of us are unrighteous only because of Jesus Christ. When somebody asks you, I think one of the most important things you say when you testify to your faith is I am saved because of Christ, what He has done for me. Not because how wonderful I am. Not because I'm better. Not because I have this, but because of what Christ has done for me. Because all of us are lost without Him. We have no chance to be good. We have no chance to have a good conscience. We don't have no no chance to be clear. But when we follow Christ, we can go to bed at night. How about this for everybody who's here? You can go to bed asking forgiveness of your sins with a clear conscience every night. Because you know that Christ has forgiven you and you are right with Him. Does that mean we don't sin? No, it says when we sin, we are faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we ask Him forgiveness. But we have that hope because of Him. And we have the hope because He is in us that He can change us and make us the people that we're supposed to be. If you've never made that commitment, you need to come and talk to one of our prayer ministers after this. Also, if you need someone to pray with you for any need that you have, we believe in the power of prayer. But for everybody else in this world, I want you to understand, Christ died for you. Christ suffered for you while you were unrighteous. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, which is an enemy of God, Christ died for us. And He is saying, hold on to your faith. You are blessed people, not because you have a new car, not because of this, although those are nice things to have, okay? You are blessed because Jesus Christ is on your side and because He is the Lord of your life. It doesn't matter what this world does to us. If tomorrow the government says we can no longer meet and we are a persecuted church, we are blessed. It doesn't matter. The circumstances start to not matter. It matters who Christ is. And you know what? Let's be willing to tell people when they ask us, Why is it that you have hope? Why is it that you have hope when nobody else has hope? And we need to be willing to say, Lord, help me say what is right for that person. Let's go tell the world about Jesus. Let's go tell him about what he has done for us. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your love. And Lord, we thank you that you died on the cross. We thank you, God, that you came to earth as we celebrate in Christmas, but you died on the cross for us suffered unjustly for unjust people like us so that we can cry out to you, God, that we can be saved and baptized and become followers of you. Lord, we thank you for this. Lord, help us to keep our faith, understand that we are blessed, understand that persecution is going to come our way because the world does not like, they didn't like you, they're not going to like us, God, for some of the things we do. But let us bring the good news of hope to those around us let us be there to explain why it is that we have hope we ask you now to be with us god during this christmas season if we see our family and friends god that we have not seen let us have opportunities to share the good news with all of them in the name of jesus amen if you're here today and you need someone to pray with we have our prayer ministers here otherwise you are dismissed